Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. Regulation is his thing. He's just become the Fred L. Smith Fellow in Regulatory Studies at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And we're talking about Clyde Wayne Cruz, who we're going to address as Wayne today. He's our guest. And to put into perspective the cost of federal government regulations, and uh, it's rather interesting. So, Wayne, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. This is a very interesting subject, and the cost, which is amazing to me, 10 years ago, in 2013, you put out a report that said that $14,768 per household was the cost of regulations from the federal government. Now, I, I ask you before we went on the air, can you tell me what it is today? And would you like to tell our listeners why you can't address that today? Absolutely. I think, well, we can say ballpark that we're talking at least uh, that level of regulatory cost to the family today. We try to keep this conservative. I would put it this way. We know what the federal government spends. We know the spending has shot up to $6 trillion a year and that the debt now is over $31 trillion. But the cost of regulation is kind of like a hidden tax. And no, unfortunately, you can go and look up what the, you may hate what the federal government spends and the amount of taxes and the amount of debt, but you can look it up and see exactly what it is. Unfortunately, the same is not the case for regulation. Now, the federal government, in particular, the White House Office of Management and Budget, is supposed to be tracking the aggregate costs of, of uh, federal regulations. Unfortunately, they don't do it. The last time we saw the aggregate cost estimates, and those figures were around uh, one and a half trillion. I use a placeholder now of at least two trillion for the cost of regulation across the economy, the uh, the environment, health and safety, paperwork, and so that two trillion figure is where I derive the roughly uh, you know the thousands of dollars that you mentioned per household. I think mm-hmm. that that still stands. There are those out there, Shirley, who are saying the cost of regulation is double the placeholder that I use. But what I'm trying to do, and I do this report every year called 10,000 Commandments that surveys these trends and regulations as best we can. I use the placeholder of 2 trillion to to make, to give it, to kind of put a shot out there to Congress, to policymakers to say, okay, we recognize this. We know these costs are out there. It's your job to be doing the, the aggregate costs, not even ours. It's not for you or to me to do that. The federal government's supposed to track this. Unfortunately, it doesn't. We try to take a stab at it with 10,000 commandments. And more than that, there's also other kinds of regulations that don't even get notice and comment. We call it regulatory dark matter. So there's a whole lot of stuff. And we can talk about how, especially in the wake of COVID, we're likely to see increases in cost of regulation. And we're already seeing increases in the numbers. And we might want to get into that a little bit. Now, what do you mean, the number of regulations that are being passed? Yeah, I I read something about Mm -hmm. that. Put that in perspective for us. What have we seen happening? Because I know that every one of those regulations, I mean, we just say, oh, the government's passed another regulation. Well, the impact (laughs) on us as consumers is really can be astonishing. And of course, that's what we're all about right here is looking out for consumers. And uh, that's why I wanted to talk with you about this, because... I'm I'm not sure that people really sit down and take the time to 
think through what every regulation costs us. It costs us all mm -hmm. kinds of things, competitiveness, that's, money, I mean, right. our household budget. So yes, okay. So yes, please um, put all of that in perspective for us. Yeah, well, that's right. Regulations can have adverse effects too. And as, as we'd mentioned, you know, it's, it's consumer regulations, health and safety, uh, economic regulations and interventions like in antitrust and like in infrastructure. I, I have I have kind of a cute joke with it. You know, Congress puts out roughly a hundred laws every year, but federal regulators, on the other hand, put out over three thousand regulations every year. And oh that multiple uh, that multiple I like to call the unconstitutionality index. You know, because we're you know here we're wacky libertarians over at, at the CEI, and we think that Congress should be making the, the laws and not delegating that power to agencies, which is a big part of the regulatory reform debate. And I think you'll see a lot of that, too, in the 118th Congress when they talk about new rules and, and uh, Congress exercising its authority and not delegating too much of it. But you have a huge multiple of at least 20, of 20, law, 20 regulations for every law that Congress passes. And as we said, if you want to look up what those regulations cost, best of luck, you're not going to be able to do it because the OMB does cost benefit analysis, which I'm sure is something you all talk about a lot. But when you know you, the benefits of a regulation should outweigh the cost. But in, but guess what? Less than a percent of regulations have both cost benefit, quantified cost benefit analysis. So we're really, really flying blind. And I, I, I no, just just to clarify something, I think it's important to say this too. When we say we're free marketers, we we don't want government to get too heavily involved. That doesn't mean that business can just run wild and do what it wants to do. You you're always faced with a choice when you're talking about consumer benefits. You can have government or you can have political forces put in place new rules and uh, that try to discipline business behavior and so forth. So you can have political discipline or you can have competitive discipline. And we like to say laissez-faire doesn't mean companies just get to run wild. We have to recognize that there's political failure too, not just market failure. And if we think about it properly, companies that might be prone to misbehave also have upstream business suppliers, downstream business customers. They have Wall Street, advertisers, consumer groups, and watchdogs like you. There are a lot of forces arrayed against companies that misbehave. Doesn't mean they won't misbehave, but you definitely have to compare the outcomes of government intervention with what we might be doing if we're standing in the way of that competitive process. You know, sometimes I joke that, well, all tainted meat was approved by the USDA. You know, just because you said you set a government standard, does it, a government standard in in some ways can be a floor. Part of the of the capitalist process or the free enterprise system isn't just to create the new product or services, but also to create the new consumer welfare and the consumer risk mitigation policies that go along with that. And you can see that's important in areas like privacy or artificial intelligence or uh, new kinds of technologies that can be risky. You don't want just business running wild, but you also don't want government indemnifying, which is often what they'll do. They say, oh, we need nuclear power, so we're going to say you're not liable for it. Or we need a new safety technology in the wake of – or cyber technology in the wake of a 9-11 attack. Well, if yours fails, you're not going to be liable. 
government intervention can undermine what the consumer benefit ought to be sometimes. We have to think about that, too. Yeah, that's a very interesting thought. And of course, their regulations are needed in, in many areas. Mm-hmm. But let's just make sure that what they're doing benefits all of us. I'm Shirley Rooker. You're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. My guest is Clyde Wayne Cruz. We call him Wayne. And he is uh, with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And he's actually just been named the Fred L. Smith Fellow in Regulatory Studies at the uh, CEI. And congratulations again on that, Wayne. That's quite an honor that you've achieved there. Uh, Can I tell our listeners that some of your favorite things is doing handstands on a skateboard (laughs) and motorcycles? I love that. (laughs) That's right. I love I love motorcycles. My my father um, got me started riding riding Harley Davidsons, and I would follow him around. Before I started riding myself, I'd follow him around in the truck, and we'd be at Bike Week at Myrtle Beach visiting. He got me started riding. Then my wife would ride along with me, sitting on back. And since we've got the a young boy, she doesn't ride on back with me, but I still do bike week. I still ride ride to work. Skateboards, that's from childhood, but that's my favorite form of exercise. And I, yeah, I learned to do the handstands and, and, and you, you, you practice in the grass. That's how you learn. <laughs> that's <laughs> then, a great then, idea. And I can tell you that you I, <laughs> I'm not a motorcycle owner or rider, but I can tell you that I ended up clearly by chance at Sturgis on the motorcycle oh. rally, the Harley. It was an experience. I'll tell oh, you about wow. it off, offline sometime. <laughs> Let's go back to awesome. being serious because this is a serious uh-huh. issue. Now, what? so what we're seeing is federal agencies, many of them overstepping their, their I guess you call them a charter or whatever their regulatory mm-hmm. uh, rules or their um, the, the areas that they're supposed to oversee, doing much more. One mm-hmm. of the things that you cited recently was the Federal Trade Commission, who's been in the news about some of the things that they've been wanting to expand their powers. So uh, is is that a prime example of what we see? Agencies want to expand. They want more power. And so consequently, Absolutely. they start passing regulations. They don't all come Absolutely. out of the White House, right? Right. It doesn't all come out of the White House. You do have with the Biden administration something that's you. Well, you can look at the contrast between the Biden administration and the Trump one. Uh, The Trump administration came in even before he took office. He issued notice that, well, I'm going to say for every agency when they issue a regulation, they've got to get rid of two of uh, of equivalent value or it, it basically amounted to a regulatory budget that was freezing regulation at the status quo and keeping net new cost at zero well i went in a couple years ago when i did the 2021 edition of Ten Thousand commandments i went in went into all the good and bad and what did and didn't work in the trump approach but with biden you have a completely opposite approach he issued a memorandum on his very first day in office along with a flurry of other ones but he called it modernizing regulatory review. Now, remember, if you, if agencies have the incentive, like you mentioned, to expand their turf, because you know it's not like a private business. How do you measure your success? Well, part of it is increasing your budget. Part of it's increasing your number of rules. And they may. I used to be at the FDA for a little bit of time, and they may not always be a good idea to do the rules, but they may be incentives to do it anyway. Well, the Biden administration, is, to me, has taken it a little bit of a step further. In addition to the modernizing mem- the modernizing regulation memo, what that effectively did is we had in place kind of a, a legacy program from Reagan and even Bill Clinton for the OMB to supervise 
and kind of be a watchdog for regulations and make sure that benefits exceeded costs. Biden changed that, and this was in his own words, for OMB to help agencies, not, not so much to oversee them anymore, but to help them in the pursuit of net benefits. And in his case, that's going to be as progressives see them, and that's a separate debate we can have over whether whether the progressive vision is, is the right one for the United States. But Biden has made that explicit. He calls it whole of government. That's his phrase. And he has whole of government regu- regulatory agendas in various areas ranging from climate crisis to equity to competition policy, and you just mentioned FTC, to digital currency to long COVID. So there's all these areas where Biden is interested, not so much in a law from Congress, or even from an individual agency's rules, but all of the agencies working in concert to advance these agendas, which might not be the right thing. Now, whether or not they're the right thing, what I would point out to you and to your listeners is the big contrast that you see with Biden's approach versus that of Trump. And then if we were to have a political change in two years at the presidency, you'd see it, you'd see it reverse again. So you have to ask yourself, well, does it make sense for for the the lead staff at EPA and FTC and other agencies or FDA to have these abrupt reversals every two years? Is that really any way to govern? I would argue it's not. And just in that context, when you were talking about FTC and agencies doing things and whether it would make sense or not, I'd mentioned uh, I was at FDA, and just given that a new <clears throat> a new rule has come across the transom with regard to healthy health claims on foods, way back then I've been at this for a while now. <laughs> I always tell people y'all are getting old, but <laughs> I've been at this for a while. And when I was at FDA, and it was a short stint there when I was when I was coming out of graduate school and then going to work in the Senate and before I got to CEI, but. We worked on health claims, and we were making the point. I was trying to make the point, and it ended up not succeeding. And you can see now in the new regulations it didn't succeed. But if you ban companies from making health claims, you might think, wow, that's a good thing. They shouldn't be making these claims if they're not valid. But if you tell companies they can't call their food healthy, what do you induce them to do? Well, they're going to they're gonna emphasize other things like convenience, taste, affordability, microwavability, all these other things, characteristics of food unrelated to health. So you could actually see the characteristic, health characteristics of new foods introduced go down. So you can have those adverse effects. You can have adverse effects on small businesses who can't meet the regulation. And sometimes, you know, sadly, a lot of times big companies who are in with an FDA or a USDA, or they're good with the revolving doors of the of the administrative state, they can ask for regulation that benefits them. And I think privacy is a good example of that where you've mentioned FCC, FTC. They can ask for regulation, pursue regulation, knowing full well, but not admitting that it really hurts their competitors and helps them. They can add on a little bit of regulatory cost if at the same time it gets rid of competitors in a way that offsets that. So you have to be careful about steps that you're taking undermining market discipline that actually is better than political regulation. So we just have to be on the alert and be on guard for things like that. 
it's a real balancing act that you're describing, exactly. keeping the scales in balance where the the costs and the benefits and and the less harm. Um, and, and that's a very interesting way of putting it. Let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know they're tuned into the Federal News Network. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Clyde Wayne Cruz. Uh, we were calling him. Wayne. He is with the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and we're talking about the cost of regulations. You know, we think about, oh, they're just a nuisance. Well, believe me, regulations go way beyond that because 10 years ago, even now, and it's more difficult, as Wayne explained in the earlier part of the show, it's more difficult to figure out now what is really the cost of regulation because the government isn't making it clear. However, 10 years ago, regulation costs were calculated at $14,768 per household, which is generally the largest, second largest item in the family budget after housing. And that's really kind of astonishing. And of course, today we're dealing with record inflation, the highest level in 40 years. And I guess my big concern, Wayne, and this is not really something that this program is meant to address, but is the impact on small businesses. I know so many people who have small businesses and boy, I'll tell you every regulation coming along just smacks them in the bottom line. Yes. Yeah. My, my mind is not that great, but I think you were just reading my mind. I, before you got on the phone with me, I was working, I'm working on the new edition for 2023 of the 10,000 commandments report, you know, surveying trends and regulation. And I got interested in the question about small business too. Because part of, you know, in our, in, our, in our political shenanigans, when we're debating our colleagues on the left, people across the aisle and trying to figure out what we want to do next, we were realizing and thinking, you know, even if there were a major regulatory reform bill that were to come through the 118th Congress, it's very unlikely that Joe Biden would sign it. And we were thinking, well, what, would, what kind of regulatory reforms would he sign? And I think you hit it with mentioning small business. The last time the United States had major regulatory reforms was back in the 1990s, believe it or not. And it was the Small Business Regulatory Enforcement Fairness Act that passed. And this passed in the Senate like 96 to zero. Can you you imagine something like that today? But what you had at that time was small businesses, but not just small businesses. You also had state and local governments concerned about federal mandates that were that were in a way dictating and steering what they could do with their own local budgets and local priorities so you had all the the governors of the nation plus small business coming to washington this was during the clinton years and demanding regulatory reform and it was overwhelmingly bipartisan even the legislation they fight so much over now called the congressional review act that gives uh, congress an opportunity to overturn an agency's new rule now it's contentious as anything you can imagine. But back then it passed 100 to zero. <laughs> so wow. as part of the small business, as part of the Small Business Regulatory Enforcement Act in, in the Senate. So when you have small business and especially governors mo- motivated about regulation, that's when you get change because otherwise it go- things go into stasis. And the, I'd mentioned to you about about the aggregate cost. It was the legislation back at that time, subsequent to the Sabrifa small business rule, 
called regulatory right to know that required these aggregate cost estimates that we don't get. We, we, for a time, we, we continued to get 10-year lookbacks on regulatory costs. Now we don't even get that. And now the one-year regulatory cost estimate, cost-benefit assessment report, is four years overdue, Shirley. <laughs> so, oh my so goodness. I think well, in, in, the wake of, in the wake of that, well, just in the wake of that absence of disclosure, I think, and especially now in the wake of the CARES Act, the Inflation Act, the Infrastructure Act, the so-called Innovation Act, all of those pieces of legislation of spending bills are highly, highly regulatory, too even before you get down to an agency. And I think given that they have such an impact on small business and on state and local governments, you're going to see some change. And I was just tallying the numbers on small business regulations and rules impacting business, and they have really shot up uh, in the last uh, two years under the Biden administration. So I think your point is, is, is right on and that we will start seeing some more small business interest. And that might be something that lets us do some uh, – working together some the, the two sides working together to do something yeah. about regulatory oversight mm -hmm. well one of the things that call for action is always championed is small businesses that we work with we we actually put out years and years ago a guide for small businesses on the frauds that were targeting them um and oh, yeah. we still get requests for that to this day so and mm -hmm. we still see it small businesses are targeted by frauds they they have sure. to learn about every new regulation that comes out. It, it's time consuming. And for us, we just want to look out for our, they're the backbone of our economy. We love our small businesses. So um, yes, that's a great yeah. role that you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, uh, we love our consumers too. We don't take sides. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to help everyone. Right. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's really in an important area. Okay, we only have a few minutes left. How can we make a difference? Is Congress the one that needs to step up and say to the government, you've got to put together uh, an analysis for us so that we know what the costs are for all these regulations? How, how does that I happen? Think, I think that's right, and it is difficult. I would say that the, the step toward doing it is I, it's not contestable. It's not arguable that there's too much flip-flop in terms of agenda for regulatory oversight at OMB. When you get a Republican president and a Democratic president, you can you get completely opposite approaches. But both both sides we know from the past have been able to get together on the questions of disclosure and transparency. Those I think are the key. And there was just a hearing for um, in it, it happened late last year for a new head of OMB's um, regulatory Oversight Office. It's called OIRA. It stands for Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. Well, there was an oversight hearing for the new director, and the questions that we were talking about, where the heck is that cost-benefit report? Uh, what are you going to do about regulatory guidance documents that don't, don't get tracked anywhere? Um, those Can you commit to uh, providing that kind of a transparency? And you get kind of a you know halfway answer, but there's acknowledgement that something needs to be done. I'm very very sure. Just just I had just heard this morning already in the 118th Congress. It's a week old. There's been legislation introduced for regulatory budgeting. There's been legislation in for, introduced called the Alert Act, which stands for All Regulations Are Transparent, that would do some of the disclosure items that we're talking about. 
as well as something called the RAINS Act that would require that would require Congress to approve the biggest, fattest regulations before they could be effective. Now, those aren't necessarily those aren't going to go across Biden's desk. Maybe the Alert Act would. There, there's actually some things. You know, Wayne, I, 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 I hate things to do, on transparency that might work. Mm-hmm. I hate to do this, and this is a fascinating discussion, but we're running out of time. Thank you well, so much. Well, we can do it again one day. <laughs> All right, let's. I'd like that. I follow up on these regulations and whether or not this is going to happen. But at any rate, thank you so much for your time. We've been talking with been my great pleasure, Clyde, my Clyde Wayne Cruz of the Competitive Enterprise Institute. I'm Shirley Rooker. Thank you for joining us. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP.